Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. You're listening to The Small Council, a Game of Thrones podcast. And welcome back, everyone. To the Small Council Podcast. I'm your host, Heath Snolo, Feedback Edition for Season 6, Episode 6, Blood of My Blood. I want to thank the boys once again for holding down the fort for the big initial reaction. It was fun. DJ, Donald, Mikey Hull, and of course, Sir Axel Foley. It was a great episode. Uh, dying to get in because I didn't get a chance to do the initial reaction this week. But we got a jam-packed show. We got a lot of feedback, and we got some awesome special guests. So I'm excited. Uh, I'm just going to ring the bell. Excited. Excited. Not shame for excitement. I promise I won't do that too much. But remember, you can tweet us at smallcouncilpod on the Twitter and email us. You got some theories, some feedback, whatever. Email us, smallcouncilpod at gmail.com. So, of course, the man who holds this podcast together, he does all the editing, all, all the talking, all the theorizing, They're just little imps in his world, Mr. Axel Foley. Great to uh, have you on again, buddy. Have you on. This is your podcast. What's up, buddy? No, of course, man. It's awesome to be here, Heath. I'm super excited. We got some great guests. You know me. I've been obsessed. I sent out a picture on. You can check our, out our uh, small council pod feed to see the picture of the Playmobil castle that I've been building with my son the past couple of days. And today we did a whole adventure where Ned Stark and Rob Stark were were trying. <laughs> I did like the, I used all the names from Game of Thrones. So he's walking around the house go, uh, going like the White Walkers are coming. <laughs> so um i'm pretty excited to talk about some real got this evening baby cool and i hope every every time lachlan talks you go yes your grace yes your grace yes he, call, he calls me your highness oh i like that but i, I just want to say a little butt kissing to you axel i think your last couple of pods you've been you, you're back to mr axel foley the podcasting machine i just want to <laughs> job thanks man you know as the season progresses i'm getting i'm having so much fun and i feel because of where we're at with the series and a relationship with the books too i feel like more free to kind of theorize crazy shit and just be wrong about it you know and just have fun with it so i you know it's been great man i'm great i'm glad you're back on too now now we can talk together buddy that's right well let's go to our first guest it's been a year since she might have been podcasting about the thrones you heard her many a times on the great podcast winterfell the call-in show uh some early book readings back in the day but we got from jerseyos not essos but jerseyos tracy with two z's is on the small council pod her debut welcome tracy so glad to have you on 
Oh, thank you so much, Heath. It has been so long since we got to actually speak. Um, and I'm really excited to talk about Game of Thrones this year. It's been a while and I've been tweeting up a storm, but I need to to vocalize some of these thoughts that I've been having. So I've been looking forward to this. Thank you so much for having me on. Axel, thank you for having me. Of course. Yeah, of course. We, You know, talk as much as you want tonight because, you know, me and Axel, we talk so much that it's good to hear other voices. And I'm sure the listeners are. But we have breaking news. I will only ring that bell a few more times, I swear. But he's the man who started it all. Back in the day when we did emergency Game of Thrones, Ned Stark podcast on the film list, it turned into this podcast called Podcast Winterfell. And without him and his podcast, Podcast Little Fell, now the small console would never exist. He's back, baby. He took some time off. He, he digested things, worked hard on the books in the offseason, and now he's caught up and back with the TV show. Everyone, a round of applause for Mr. Matt. We wow. resurrected. <laughs> I was I was expecting the shame bell. Shame, shame, shame. Staying away for so long. <laughs> Maybe uh, DJ signs gave you shame, but no. I that's the excitement bell. Well, Matt, welcome back. Um, I want to say everyone's going to want to know. We probably should get the uh, the White Walker out of the room first of all. And what made you come back? Was it? you know, just kind of your thought process. Why, why was it time for you to get back into the show? Uh, give us a little, you know, Matt Murdock breaking news here. Oh, okay. Uh, in the simplest of terms, I of course left the show for my own reasons and didn't have anything against anybody who watched the show. Just didn't want to do it myself. And, um, found out pretty much by the end of season five that I had probably made a mistake, uh, but felt I like needed to stick to my guns. Um, and started booking a, a lot of touring for 2016 and figured I would do books up until the TV show came back and be able to take a break while the show came back. Um, then I started seeing tweets because I like Penny Dreadful. It's a great show. It's the second best show on television on Sunday nights right now. And uh, wanted to talk to people about Penny Dreadful after I'd watched an episode of that. But all I saw on my timeline were Game of Thrones tweets with all of this great information about, you know, ooh, you know, they're going to go here, look, brand, Tower of Joy, all of this stuff. And I'm like going, oh, man, this sounds just so interesting. So I got together with my buddy John, who's been doing some of the theory casts with me on Podcast Winterfell, and uh, I talked to him, I guess, about two weeks ago and, and said, you know, what's going on? And he kind of filled me in with everything that was going on, and we had a long discussion about it. And that was enough to make me really interested. And then I, I guess after the episode five with the, with the Hodor reveal and everything like that, I was just like, okay, you're doing nothing but cheating yourself by not at least watching the show, Matt. Uh, I still don't have access to HBO personally, uh, but I do have a bandmate by the name of Daryl who has a, a HBO go login that he is allowing me to use to watch. And the last five days after talking with, uh, Holly, who is at Hunt Pants on Twitter, we did a special podcast after John had filled me in. She filled me in even more, 
and convinced me that I, I really ought to start watching. And I binge watched uh, season five, episode seven, The Gift, through this most recent episode, Blood of My Blood, in about five days. Uh, and most of it is a blur, but I'm so much more. I got to just say this. Uh, this season, season six, um, without the restraints especially in some of the storylines. I do realize they're still doing a couple of book storylines that they skipped over before. They're kind of coming back to them. But without the restraints of where, you know, they feel like they have to do an actual adaptation, Dave and Dan have proven that they actually can make a good television show all on their own. Maybe a superior television show um, to their ability to adapt the books. And they've adapted the books very well. Don't get me wrong. I, I feel like that there's a turn here or there that they've done differently that I might not have done. But I am so blown away by all of the new stuff, the stuff that maybe they got bullet points from George R. R. Martin, maybe they didn't. Um, with the freedom that they have now, they're actually creating really compelling television, and I can't be happier to be back watching the show. Well, my friend, I mean... We lost Ken and then we lost you. And it was like, we, we, uh, I mean, Axel can back me up, but I'm sure Tracy will too. It was just like, we need something. And that's why Axel was like, why don't we do a podcast? Because we need an outlet. So um, it's so great to have you back. Uh, we've said it numerous times. Uh, it sucks that you left. We miss you. But you know what? Sometimes you just, you know, the, especially the amount of podcasting you were doing, you were doing a call-in show, you were doing another show, you were guesting on pods. And then with your touring, I'm sure it was just all like, oh my God, it's so much. So now you can just kind of kick back, watch, jump on podcasts and enjoy it. So maybe, maybe that's the best formula for you. Well, I, I tell you what, Heath, the, the, the funnest thing for me now is the fact that uh, even though I don't really have time right now to produce my own my own podcast about the television show just due to my schedule, I've got a whole catalog of great back podcasts from like Small Council Pod and uh, and other podcasts to to listen to and and hear your guys' thoughts about the individual shows. I think that's going to be fantastic. Exactly. Exactly. Awesome. Yeah, man. We're very happy that you're on tonight. Now, I do have to ask you. I have to ask you, Matt. We got to drill down a little bit into this because I think it was a couple weeks ago, maybe three or so weeks ago, I, I tweeted at, you know, I was like, I think you should watch in reference, in, in direct reference to the Sansa stuff that I think upset you last year, right? Do you feel... Mm -hmm. Do you feel more comfortable with the way in which that storyline has been fleshed out or do do you do you feel less like it was they used rape as a simple plot device for the sake of it for the sensationalism of it or do you feel as though with the follow through you're able to look at it and say okay they had a plan here Maybe I jump the gun. Well, I don't. Let me put it this way. In looking over the last few episodes, the way they treated, continue to treat Sansa throughout season five, I still didn't particularly care for. But the, 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 the episode where I realized, OK, this is OK for me was actually in her conversation with Littlefinger, where you still saw that she was a victim, but that she had moved on from just being a victim to becoming a survivor. 
I don't buy into what a lot of people on Twitter have been saying about, oh, she's so much stronger now because of that. I don't, that's not the, the point. You never become stronger from rape. You survive it and you find a way to deal with it. And I, I think that they've been realistic in that aspect of Sansa. Um, and for that, I forgive them. And my problem never was with actually Sansa being replaced with Jane Poole like it was for some people. My problem was with the fact that once that criticism was aired out by a lot of people, that Dave and Dan never really responded to it. Okay, yeah. That they brushed it off. And that's what ultimately made me make my decision, um, was the fact that um, they just, you know, they said, well, it's it's a storytelling point and everything. Um, Anybody can say that. Does it make it right? I, I don't necessarily agree with that. So um, that that was my big issue. But because they have taken the time, uh, especially with Sansa this season, to show her surviving it and being able to cope, that uh, to me was a very important stroke. Rather than just being completely broken or suddenly out of the docks, you know, this superwoman. If they'd have gone either way with that, I'd probably still have a lot of issue with it. Cool, cool. No, I appreciate that, man. And like I've always said... You do what you do. You feel what you feel. It's your freaking decision if you watch a TV show. I just think right. it's really interesting. And we we all take it seriously because we enjoy it. And it does speak to a large audience. And when you speak to a large audience, it gives you the opportunity to communicate certain ideas. And you do that through the characters and their stories. And I, I the reason why I had kind of tweeted at you at that point and earlier too is because I had heard I had heard that they I don't know if there was a direct response for from them, but I had heard that like, hey, look, you're gonna there it'll be in the show. You know? And I kind of I didn't have the same issue, but as a viewer, I agree with your assessment of the character. So I just wanted to talk about it, but you know, we're glad to have you back, baby. Well, and you know what? Me um, oh, oh go sorry. Ahead. Go ahead, Trace. I was going to say, Matt, you know what's funny? I was furious about it too, but for, you know, a totally different reason. And it just really kind of speaks to how, you know, we kind of consume the material and we, we process it in totally different ways. You know, for me, I felt like, you know, once they made the decision to marry those two off, you know, there was only one way for this to go. Mm-hmm. And I felt that, you know, what crossed the line for me was how they shot it. And then, uh, you know, turning the camera to Theon and kind of centering him in it, you know, that is really what turned me off. So, mm-hmm. you know, when you were upset by it, I was too, but just kind of for a different reason. Um, and I feel like, you know, they've done a, a good job rebounding from it, but I was definitely really disappointed in the show when, when that happened. Well, I can definitely appreciate your viewpoint on that. Um, the whole uh, making it about a redemption for Theon rather than a terrible moment for Sansa. Those kinds of scenes, I got to admit. I mean, let, let's face it. Um, Brian Cogman was, was given the bad card of having to do this because they had made the decision to combine the Jane Poole storyline with Sansa's. But uh, I can certainly see how it being shot in that way unintentionally I, I think somewhat unintentionally did focus the, the emphasis on theon in an effort to be delicate 
mm-hmm. about what they were doing to Sansa. Um, mm-hmm. But they, they, by just deciding to combine those two storylines, they really did put themselves in a lose-lose situation with a lot yeah. of people, I think. Right, because the Ramsey character had been established so clearly that any deviation from basically pure sadism would have rung false. So, you know, there was only so I just felt like it would would have been enough for them to kind of just pull the camera out of the room altogether, because in the next episode, she has a line where she makes it very clear what's been happening to her. And we didn't need to see all of that. So it kind of left me feeling like, come on, guys, you really could have handled this differently. But this season, I agree with you, has just been so strong that I'm glad that I did stick with it. And I can kind of just put it to the side, kind of the same way, you know, the uh, Jamie Cersei scene rubbed me the wrong way. But I mm-hmm. kind of said that wasn't their intent and I can let this ruin the show for me or I can kind of just put it to the side and try to enjoy the show for what it what it is trying to be. Yeah. yeah. Cool. Good. Good thoughts. Yes. I, it's amazing having the two of you on. I'm like, oh, man, I don't feel as smart as I do. When I'm alone. <laughs> You're brilliant, Heath. Don't worry about it, bro. I don't know about that. All right. Well, uh, before we get into some emails, um, I want to, Tracy, I'm glad you kind of came in at your thoughts from that, too, because I was just going to ask you. (laughs) So see how good you are. You just come on and you just you read my mind without realizing. (laughs) We're not missing a beat tonight. Not missing a beat. We are not. Okay. First, I want to hit is the whole Marjorie thing. Uh, this week, I, you know, observing the scene, I've seen it three or four times. Uh, and all I could think about was that scene with her way back when, when she goes, I want to become, oh, I want to be the queen. And when I first saw the whole thing go down, I was like, okay, uh, you know, whose plan is it? But then I'm thinking, was this Marjorie's plan all along? I, and she looked shocked when Queen of Thorns came up. Queen of Thorns looked shocked. Now, from what I remember, when when Lady Olena planned with Littlefinger to poison Joffrey, am I correct to saying that Marjorie did not know of the plan? Is, you guys remember That's, that? She, she certainly yeah. seemed surprised by Queen of Thorns' revelation about it. Okay, so I and to to hit a Nancy Drew mirror image from the Lost Days. I felt that scene when with Marjorie's plan of join of being with Tommen and joining the faith and becoming one, I almost felt like Lady Olena had no clue and was like, wait a minute. It's almost like a reversal of that. So uh, what I'm going to, I'm going to ask Axel first. Um, I mean, do you, do you believe because we look at Marjorie and she's the opposite of Cersei, the way she's being uh, in prison. Her hair's nice. She's not beaten. She looks nourished. She looks on her game. It, do you think that was her plan all along, Axel, for her to go this route so she could avoid the Walk of Atonement and really start to become the queen and maybe in in the long run get it all for herself? Um. I don't think that the plan has been in in action that long, but I do think that the seeds of it and the foreshadowing of this moment have been in the show for a long time, just like you're talking about. I mean, think about it. Look, this is her third king, dude. 
You know what I'm saying? Like, talk about wanting to be the queen. She really wants to be the queen. And we've seen the Queen of Thorns is kind of the matriarch of this family. And after rewatching that episode, I, for, I, it's hard, you know, I mean, it's like, it's, it's deep because her character has, oh, she seemed to always played in reaction to the people around her. So it's unusual to see her take charge like this. And it's like, she's been waiting and man, did she do it because I'll just point to a couple of things. She convinces Tommen to do it. If you watch that scene again, that's clearly what's happening. She's never wait. The only reason she's waiting to see what he thinks of the high sparrow is to guide him towards joining the faith. I think she came up with this plan after she saw her brother and then she started enacting it and it had already been signed, sealed and delivered by the time Tom and walked into that room to meet her. And that's why she was clean and dressed nice and looked healthier and was so in control of the situation. I think basically it's what I said on the last podcast. I think that it comes down to would she rather be under thir- Cersei's crazy ass thumb or in bed with the High Sparrow? And I think that she feels like that's the security she can get. And if she does this, she'll probably bring she'll bring in her family. But I think that she I think we may see her even make a power play on the Queen of Thorns too, like in some way when they meet, rebuff her or remind her that she is the queen now. So that's my opinion on it. Tracy, what's your thoughts on Marjorie's plan? Um, I am with Axel on the idea that she kind of had to hatch this kind of late in the game, you know, call an audible when she saw her brother and the state that he was in. And I kind of look at this as, her being a student of Lady Olena. And, you know, Lady Olena has that line, uh, I don't know if it was one or two seasons ago, where she says, you know, I was good, but you're better. And it's kind of like Marjorie's been groomed for this type of power play for a while. And, you know, Olena may not have realized that she had it in her to kind of move on her own yet. And she, she did. She moved on her own. Um, I'm really impressed with what they've been doing with her character because, you know, when you read the books, you have no idea who Marjorie is, what she thinks, how much of this comes from her, or the people around her. So she, they've really crafted her into this uh, sort of puzzling, powerful, but sweet character. Um, but here's, here's my prediction. I think this is a short-term win. For Marjorie, I think we might see her stumble for the first time after this. That's that's what I think. May I jump in real quickly and just say, I I I I agree with what you said at the end, which is, I don't know that it, this is going to work at all. <laughs> like, I don't know, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, she's she, she's just it's like better the devil you know at least that's Tommen's mom you have something to work this is a high sparrow i think she made a mistake mm-hmm. i think she pulled a cersei mistake i think like this is just people making mistakes after mistakes at king's landing you know where's tywin when you need him <laughs> he was on the privy, my friend he was on the privy matt off the privy what do you think of marjorie 
Uh, well, I, I got to say that I, I feel like Axel and and Tracy have pretty much covered it all, uh, and and pretty close to my own viewpoint in the fact that um, I think that it wasn't until she saw Loris that uh, she decided that she needed to do something to save herself. The one part of the equation that we haven't really talked about yet is the High Sparrow himself, and why? I mean, obviously the only reason that the high sparrow agrees to this is because being a fanatical he's just as much a fanatical as melisandre he's just as much a fanatical as any red priest we've ever seen he's just as much a fanatical as everybody else and i believe that he truly believes everything he said to any of the characters we've seen him say but he also needs to know that because of his fanaticism he he can make what he believes required of everyone due to law. And that's why he would agree to allow Tommen, uh, if he would make a deal with Marjorie saying, if Tommen does uh, create this quote unquote twin pillar thing, then, uh, then we'll let you go, Marjorie, you know, or at least uh, we won't have a walk of atonement for now. The thing is, the heist, and this is where I also agree, where uh, that Axel and Tracy are both saying that this will turn on Marjorie is that just because he lets her go now doesn't mean he won't forget her later sins or, or whatever, because he is a fanatical. And so in that way, um, it isn't a power grab by the high sparrow. It's just a way for him to spread his fanaticism, but he won't give up his fanaticism and look the other way just for Marjorie or just for Cersei. He's still planning on having a, a trial for Cersei. He probably, even now, is still planning on having a trial for Marjorie. And I ask myself, where does this leave Loras in the equation? Has Marjorie totally given up on Loras because she saw him as weak? Or did she make a deal where Loras would be allowed to go too? Because we didn't get any mention of that in the episode. Hmm. Great point, Matt. Yeah, I, I honestly think she's going to sacrifice Loris. I feel mm-hmm. he's broken, done. He put he basically put her in this situation, in essence. Uh, I That's my prediction. Uh, before we get to an, e- an email from Gina Axel, Tracy Axel, do you have any predictions? Did, did Marjorie uh, give up on Loris or is Loris in her plans? What do you think, Tracy? Hmm, I think that's a really smart idea. I mean, when he was sort of groveling and saying he, you know, he wanted it to be over, I mean, she looked kind of disappointed in him. You know, like she she wanted to see some fight out of him and and she was a little annoyed that it wasn't there. So, I mean, I definitely think there's something to that and I think it makes for a good story, definitely. Yeah, um No, I think that she's going to try to save I think she loves her brother. And I think that that's what I mean is like, I think that this, we may find, she may find out how grave a mistake this is as early as like the beginning of the next episode. You know what I mean? Like, I think that I, I'm a, I'm a bit unclear about this. And I was wondering what you said, Matt, because my impression was that what we saw was not only a deal that legit further legitimized the high sparrow, but this, the guard around Tommen 
had now the high spat, like the seven pointed star on it. And I, th- my, and Jamie was thrown out and Kevin is still there as the hand of the king. It looks like he was in on this whole thing that this was like a military coup. And now the high sparrow not only has the faith militant, but he can, contr- he seems to control the army too. Because doesn't the King's Guard also, by rights, aren't they like the head? And wasn't Jamie the head of the army? Um, well, I mean, King's Landing has the City Watch, which is kind of like their police force. To, you know, and they're different from the King's Guard. The King's Guard is supposed to basically just stay with the king and right. whoever the I, king says. I, no, I so, understand that, but what I'm, but what I mean is though. Don't they don't they also have an a standing army? Doesn't the the king have a standing army? Isn't that the king's guard? That's what no. I no, uh, it's not. That's not what the king's guard is. It's like no. how the secret. It's like how the president is also the commander in chief. Right. That's what there I'm is no to centralized say. army. Okay, of yeah, the it's just the, the houses have their yeah, own. Yeah, the houses okay. have their own armies, and the knights, uh, the the uh, the city watch is essentially uh, what controls uh, whatever happens within this, the limits okay. of King's Landing. Okay, so but he at least so I'm wrong about that. I didn't know that, but he does at least have the city guard then too, right? Most likely, if you have Tommen. Right, because Tommen would control the head of the city watch. And Yeah. So yeah. Jamie's gone. So it at least is some kind of military grab, right? Like who would defend the city? If the city was to be sacked or something, who would defend the city? Yeah. Well to me the the uh, and and it's not so much important mil- militarily as it is in terms of law itself. Yes, if yes. The High Sparrow has influence over Tom, and Tom could write a decree you must go to the Sept three times a day and pray to the mother. You must go to the Sept three other times a day and pray to the father. You know, yeah. even if I, I don't think it would be that ridiculous, I think the High Sparrow has a little more reason to him than that. But that kind of influence over the king, uh, you don't need a military coup. But didn't Tommen say, um, we're going to spread this to, and I know when they say the seven kingdoms, that's like just a way of saying it, but do they, is it, the, the, I got the impression that Jamie was being sent forth, not only do this, but that they were now going to like co- reconquer the land in the name of the seven and the, you know what I, I don't know. That, that's just a well, feeling I got I, that he was waging Tommen a military did say, war. Tommen did say go to river, the Riverlands, or did say to Jamie, go to serve your king. So essentially that is the same. But I, I think that's more about where the alignment of, say, the, I don't even know, uh, the, the lord of the Riverlands lies. As we saw with Walder Frey, uh, since, uh, since the Blackfish has taken over river, the uh, river run, you know, that could cause an uprising of, of other people within the Riverlands against Walder Frey as that particular lord of, the, of that area. Um, and so it's essential in order to maintain peace within the, the different seven kingdoms that the power, the pieces that are in power stay in power. And I think that's what that was more about rather than, oh, okay. uh, you know, militarily. Okay. I was just 
that's that's the point. I'm so, that's the point I was trying to get to is I was under the impression after that whole scene that maybe we kind of saw like a almost a declaration of war on <clears throat> excuse me like the faith against everyone and they were going to kind of like he was going to even go like proselytize more throughout the lands because isn't that supposed to be happening we're not seeing it but isn't that what's supposed to be happening in all of westeros that they're like out everywhere now talking about this well yeah and the high sparrow even um when his with his talk with the queen of thorns quite a while back mentioned you know well who's going to sow your crops and everything the the small folk that that the high sparrow appeals to already have the ability to overthrow any of the lords really it's just that the high sparrow wants to make it legal for them to do so um is my gathering or or at least make everybody equally answerable to the laws of the seven is what I what I think is what he's really going for. Cool. It's funny, Axel, when Tommen came out with all those uh, soldiers, I thought your mountain army, I thought that's what it was. They looked, all looks like the mountain reincarnate. <laughs> I was like, <laughs> Axel, this prediction came true. I, I thought the same exact thing, Solo. <laughs> I had to stop myself from being like, oh my God, it's them. I thought it all looked like the mountain to um, me. Matt and Tracy, did that that's a theory that I had that Kyburn was creating like an army of dead. I think we talked about that on Twitter, right, Tracy? At one point. Um, Maybe. Oh, God. But that would be the worst thing in the world. Oh, my God. <laughs> I mean, well, where, I mean, the whose bodies? That that's, I guess, he was just going around like like how he was saying to the kid, like, your dad won't bother you oh, anymore. Oh, right. Like scooping up the, mm-hmm. the sort of urchins and the, the dregs and <laughs> yep. turning them into a zombie army. I guess, I mean, he's that sinister, right? I mean, he's certainly creepy enough to do something like that. Um, but I guess at this point, they don't really need unless, I mean, would Kyburn be doing that for Tommen though? Or does he serve Cersei more yeah. than anybody for Cersei? Yeah. Uh. Which was what, so why would they be guarding Tommen? No, I know. That's why I, that's why I was kind of like, I wanted it to be them, but I was like, no, it, it just looked, those guys just looked weird. Ah. Yeah. That armor, you know? And then I was like confused, but, no, it wouldn't. They wouldn't be. Sir, you're right, Matt. They wouldn't be serving uh, Tom. I thought it. That's why I thought it might. Then, then for a second, of course, the way my mind works, I was like, well, maybe it was a super double cross on Cersei, <laughs> and now they've got her zombie army too. <laughs> but then I was like, no way, because the High Sparrow would not condone a zombie army. He would think that was not right. You know what I mean? That they were monsters and abominations. Yeah. So then I then by the time I realized that the scene had progressed and it was not them. And I was like, why am I thinking about that? Let's watch the show. Well, (laughs) I'm just I love the way you guys watch the show because I don't typically do that. I didn't even notice there was anything different about them. So, I mean, of course, I'm buzzing through these episodes. But see, the fact that you guys pick that kind of stuff up that I never would. That's why I used to love having you on initial reactions, because I was just busy talking about characters. It's the suit, yeah, baby. Axel. 
I didn't even realize that Kevin was standing next to Tommen on the throne yeah. until you mentioned it. And then when I did my rewatch, I'm like, holy crap, how did I miss this? But yeah, you pointed it out. Yeah. yeah. It's all about you, Axel. And speaking of you, it is the feedback episode, so we have to get to emails. So great email from Gina. Why don't you uh, do your Axel Foley magic and uh, get going? All Buddy. right, baby. I'm going to do that solo just as soon as I can open up my little Google here. Open um, up the. We're live on the film list. You're having me start with Gina. Okay. Because uh, Gina, right, because she wrote and kind of did a good. Right, opening. right. So I figured let's do that now. I have still many questions for the three of you. So get prepared to theorize and answer questions the best you can. Uh, since. We have the great minds on. I wanted to make sure any questions I had, we I ask. So uh, I'm, I'm, I'm ready, but we do got to hit some emails. Let's do it, baby. All right. Gina says, this episode was a necessary, important one, good but not amazing. That's a good way. I think that's a good way to describe it. Mm-hmm. Entertaining moment of the week. What better way to say fuck you, dad, than to steal your family's Valerian steel longsword? Go, Sam. Geez, and I thought Stannis had to stick up his arse. Lord Tarly hasn't beat big time and may be the biggest douchebag in the Seven Kingdoms. That's true. Arya versus the Waif, celebrity death match. All Waifs must die. Arya retrieve Needle because she knows what's coming next. Jack and really may have to go down too, although it does seem like he has a soft spot for her. What do we say to death, Arya? Not today. Yeah, I don't know. We have a bunch of emails about Arya. We'll save that. Um, Uncle Benjin is Uncle Benjin a green seer? He seems to know what Bran has seen. That is totally true. He said he said to him, "You've seen, you saw that." That that was a really interesting point. Um, did anyone else pick up on that, Matt? Did you pick up on that? Well, just the fact that Benjin um, has had a great deal of magic going through him and has evidently, as he said been in contact with the three-eyed raven uh i i feel like that um perhaps even that kind of download that brand got um might ring kind of through all magic and anybody who knew how to access that might be able to uh but that's just kind of my own that's sprinkling a little bit of my own book theorizing in about how the Werewood network works and how you can jump outside of that Werewood network and be present um, in, in a place, even if you're not really supposed to be there. Um, so I just feel like the magic is the tie in. And I, I almost feel like that's why the white Walker was able to see brand back in the door in the first place is because of all of that children of the forest magic being tied together in some way. Yeah, it took me my third time to really realize what Benjen had said. Like, he knew what Bran had seen. So that just, like, floored me. I was like, what the heck? How does he know? So you're right, Matt. There's got to be some sort of magic. The Children of the Forest bringing him back. He's been through a lot. I I am very excited to see what more Benjen has to offer because evidently he can be a great guide for Bran through this getting ready to fight the Night's King or battle him. Oh, I had to uh, run it back because when I was watching, because I was kind of wondering, what did he just say? How would he know? And then I kind of listened to that section again. 
And, you know, I didn't quite consider it magic. I kind of considered it almost logistical. Like they were, you know, they were working together as if the Three-Eyed Raven knew that Benjen would eventually need to work with Bran. So felt that he needed to kind of be caught up and know what's going on with Bran and kind of say like, you know, this is what Bran is going to Mm. be learning so he can go on his journey. You know, what's amazing too, guys, is again, watching it again, think about the visions Bran has just gone through. He saw because a lot of these things he had not seen before, did not experience. You see Ned getting his head chopped off. You see White Walkers bringing people back to life. He sees Catelyn get murdered, Rob get murdered. I, I call it like the brand-like depression cyclone of images because, I mean, for him to not go berserk and become a new mad king. I mean, he's seen all this crap for the first time. I can't imagine what that's doing to his mind. Yeah, it is kind of crazy when you think about it, Heath. You're right. Like, we're dissecting these images and seeing, like, what was in his vision. And a lot of it is some terrible shit, you know? and. I I was thinking about that, that, you know, he, he said when he said that to Benjen, when Benjen said to him, um, I don't remember what was it about? He said, you know, he he he. Oh, like the White Walker, you know, like the White Walkers when he was talking about putting um, the uh, uh, the what you dragon glass, the dragon glass inside of him. Um, and then Bran was like, but I can't control any of it. And I was just thinking to myself, gosh, nah, to even be thinking about that, it just like it's like they did skip a little bit. I I, I want to see him seem more despondent or whatever. Like it, it's just he's not even saying like my mother's dead, my brother's dead. You know what I mean? Like all this, like just to see it like that, you know, because I think he knew. Right. Did he know? Or did that take place after? He he was out of any type of communication. Does anyone well, remember? Before he went to the tree, but whether or not he would have known, um, I don't know if Jojen showed him a vision of it. But I I, I gotta believe he didn't know about. Yeah, it's I, just a lot. You're right, Heath. That's an interest. That's just an interesting perspective. Because we all are di- we're dissecting what visions he's seen and what's new and what's not. But no one has talked about how it's affected him seeing it for the first time because we've seen all these images as an audience. So to to really go that down that road and be like, he's running for his life. Well, no, he's being carried by Mira. (laughs) And he runs into Uncle Benjamin. He's seeing all this stuff. What about Bran? You know? And I mean, my expectation for the beginning of this episode was kind of like some trauma over the Hodor thing. I mean, my mm, my yeah. thought was that he would be kind of against dipping into the this sort of weirwood time travel or vision thing or war game, you know, or skin changing. Like, I thought that he would maybe not want to do it anymore because he saw what terrible things could happen. He lost probably, I guess you would say his best friend um, Mm. and kind of 
in this super traumatic way. So I, I, you know, in my head, I'm just thinking like, we're going to see him react to this and it didn't really happen. And because those images were so mind blowing for us as viewers, I, I forgot. You're right. What about brand? Like I totally forgot about that. And I'm thinking like, Holy crap, mad King wildfire. And you know, I'm (laughs) totally down another road. Yeah. It's, it's interesting too, because there was a point, where he kind of when he wakes up um he says they found us or he just kind of says they found us and he's kind of venturing into that three-eyed raven territory Mm -hmm. where all of this accumulated knowledge has just made him like dull and his emotionality and his the human part of him is doesn't seem to really be there. And I think that's interesting and, and kind of tying into what Matt said about how the children are at the heart. And, and I have a theory about it being kind of the planet itself. Like it's like if you're familiar with the movie Solaris and the novel and um, where uh, and I've like the children are kind of like uh, the avatar naive or whatever, you know what I'm saying? Where they are in total concert with the planet. And that's why there's this effect on it's everything's elemental, you know, mm-hmm. um, my dear Watson, but yeah, thank you. Uh, <laughs> but um, whatever, I like that idea that whatever they touch is then connected, right. And can affect each other. And they all become part of this web. And that includes whether I would think whether they're like a warg or a or a green seer or maybe there's things we don't know about, you know, Um, that they all can kind of I don't necessarily know. And there's also the idea that once you're connected to that and if it's the green seeing part kind of like the past, present and the future, we get into the lost shit here, people. It's all the same thing. So when Benjamin says to him, you know, you saw it, that could be because next year he tells Benjamin about exact, like they're sitting there talking about the vision. You know what, what I'm saying? Or stuff. I don't understand what that is. What's, what do you mean? You see, you keep saying the green seer. That's the visions. Oh, it's just another. Right. So warg is the ability to go into someone or something in the present. Right. Mm-hmm. And then the, that green seeing is the ability that Bran and the three eyed Raven, I guess, Jojen go, had it too. Right. Where mm-hmm. he can, they can see into the past, present, and I would guess future. That's what Jojen said. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That's what that's like a different ability. Some book person and Matt, you probably know that in the book, it says like, one in a thousand people are Tracy. You read the books too, right? So you know. Yeah. What What is the stat? It's like one in a thousand green seers are wargers are green seers, or it's like all connected, and it must be because the children started experimenting on people. Yeah. Well, and the big problem for me, guys, is how is Brand still downloading long after both. He had lost any connection with the tree and uh, the fact that the uh, the three eyed raven before was gone, uh, was already extinguished by the Night's King. How did 
the vision continue. And that is where, to me, like the warging and the green scene thing maybe converges. It's almost like, I hate to put it in, in such a strange way, but it's almost like uh, the, the, the former Three-Eyed Raven took a, a USB plug out of his head and put it in brand somehow. And that's the only way that it could continue, right? No, I mean, there, but that's what I'm trying to say is that there, once he enters that, I don't think that there, um, there would be any continuity to it. There's no, he learned one thing and then he learned the other. It's almost like it's just all happening. But what we're seeing is what's happening in real time with them running away. Do you catch yeah, but, my drift? Yeah, but how is that possible is what I'm asking. If because he, doesn't he have... probably always had that ability. You know what I mean? It's just like everything in this world. He just had to believe and he had to be okay. forced to do it. Well, what's okay. interesting, too, is Uncle Benjamin says, you know, they said, oh, the three-eyed raven is dead. But he says, now he lives again. And he yeah. up. <laughs> so I know some people say, no, he's not the three-eyed raven. I mean, didn't Jojen in, a, in, a, in one of his visions said, you are the raven? Or you are, you know, way yeah. back. And now... Benjamin says that and then he wakes up so it's another like so i'm just thinking like okay he's the new three-eyed raven but again the logistics of how he's getting everything and maybe with uncle Benjamin saying you have to be ready eventually to when you face the knight's king so maybe through the experiences now these downloads start to come off the cloud and maybe he he things he figures things out because it's in him he just doesn't know everything is all there yet right okay. yeah yeah now oh i'm sorry what were you saying solo oh no no go ahead Fola. um i i like to hear what matt and tracy think about this whole thing in general because i i'm really am very interested in these children and this d- does the what's presented in the show about them creating the white walkers. We had talked a little bit about this on the last podcast. It seems like the stories in the book don't particularly jibe together. Am I, is that, am I correct in, in, in stating that? Sure. But what George does in the books is he makes a very strong appeal to us as, a, as as readers that everybody's perspective on things is different. Old Nan's perspective on where the White Walkers came from uh, might be based on an old tale that's been handed down for a long time, but isn't necessarily true. You know what? But what Bran learns in the tree, what he has learned in the tree I think we can accept that as the truth, regardless of what stories have been passed down for eons and eons um, since then. I, th- one of the general things in the books is that um, you, you go to old Nan's story to Bran in Game of Thrones and you see where she says that the White Walkers came out of the long night. Uh, and a lot of people have interpreted that to say that um, the White Walkers didn't necessarily create the long night, that they were born somehow in the long night. However, this uh, telling uh, by Dave and Dan refutes that. Uh, so it makes you look at all of these old stories that uh, old Nan has told or that old maesters tell, Lewin has told the Bran or whatever, and it makes you question them. Um, and as long as Bran has that knowledge, 
then as far as D&D's uh, Planetos universe, we're going to get truths because he, he will be a witness to the events actually as opposed to any speculation that humans have been make, making for generations beyond. Oh, that's a great point. Uh, yeah, uh, that's like the unre unreliable narrator. Now we're seeing like the we're seeing it. We're seeing no a, for the first time yeah. a totally reliable narrator. That's yes, great. Sir. That's a great point, man. See, I just have this idea that it would find out more about this and that if they made the White Walkers and they made the Night King, then the, is the Three-Eyed Raven what they made to defeat them? Did the, Was there and our wargs and green seers, did, was there like an army of them? Is that what helped? vanquish the uh the the uh knight's king or at least push them back at some point after because there has to be a retreat and this is just going by show knowledge right and we've seen these people before so i hope we see this because you know i love this kind of crazy shit <laughs> what do well, you think about it tracy yeah, okay. um well, I mean, in terms of like the children of the forest creating the White Walkers, I thought it was a really great explanation because I think it, it really shows consequences for actions and they can't just blame it on some mysticism. In a sense, it's like one thing to agree that there might be this other kind of race or species existing, the children of the forest. I can accept that. But then it's like, OK, and then there's this other one. And it's kind of like, okay, where are we going here and how complicated is this going to get? But then when you say, okay, this one created the others kind of by accident, you know, or sort of like a uh, a glitch in the magic or something like that, it kind of grounds everything a little bit more, you know, so it doesn't get too magic-y, I guess, or, or too sort of... Um, I, I don't know. It's like I need something tangible, right? And it feels tangible it feels like enough magic for this to be a fantasy series but enough reality where it's sort of like this species and that species sort of came together in this odd way to create this new thing so I kind of felt like you know what because at first I'm like wow they created them like that's messed up and then I thought well what else am I going to you know accept you know uh, you know they they found an egg or and the White Walker popped out or, you know, like everything else would kind of be a letdown, I think. So I was really mm. happy with the way that it was explained. Um, and then, oh, and by the way, um, Axel, I found that quote, one in a thousand men is born a skin changer and one skin changer in a thousand is born a green seer. That's okay. what it was. Okay. So that was a good pull on your part. Cause that's pretty obscure. Tracy, <laughs> bring in the knowledge. I See? <laughs> you you got to get on these pods more often you know what i was in grad school but i graduated um a couple weeks ago <laughs> so Yay! you know what i'm, I'm back baby <laughs> right. that's awesome yeah that's cool yeah i just think that 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 is you know i know most from watching those history and lore things you know and i just found i just find all of this to be fascinating um but this, what they're, it's interesting to hear a kind of a book perspective. And what you said, Matt, is interesting because it does seem like they might be kind of simplifying it a little bit. You know what I mean? 
and just kind of streamlining a story. And I don't have a problem with that. Um, and they have to do that on the show and they have done it. Um, but I, in that respect, I, I love to see more of it because to me, that's like the Dharma initiative of this show. You know, like, give me, give me that Dharma season. I want it back. I know. You know, what's <laughs> funny? I was just thinking, take away the White Walker Children of the Forest stuff. We have like Rome season four, you know, <laughs> this adds so much. It makes it so unique. It makes it so interesting. Like, because I'm with you. I love this. I know you love the snow, but it's more than that for you. I'm just kidding. But you, you know what I mean? It just it adds yeah. so much more intrigue to this. Yeah. It's blowing my mind. Speaking of blowing my mind. Um, so I really want to hit Cersei and then the whole River Run setup. I... One quote that sticks with me, guys, and then we'll get um, – we have an email from Brandon in Kentucky that kind of talks about Jamie and whatnot. But when Cersei tells Jay, like, Jamie's like, I got to be around your – you know, I always want to say mortal combat, but I uh, – <laughs> again, trial by combat. And she's like, I have the mountain. She's all confident, which tells me something's going to happen with the mountain, and I think Cersei's dead. And – Axel predicted it like two seasons ago, but I really think she's going to die. I think this, it's not a given. The mountain's going to win this trial by combat. He's a zombie. Something's going to go wrong. I'm sorry, Kyburn. Something's going to go wrong. I just had to get that out there because I wasn't on the initial reaction. Uh, River Run, Brotherhoods Without Banners are rallying troops. DJ Timmy Hines is going to love that. Whether we see them or not, I don't know. Um, and the fact that Jamie gave Brienne the Valerian steel, the sword, I'm thinking, oh my God, is A, Brienne going to kill Jamie, or are they going to unite at River Run? So, Matt, this whole River Run thing, Jamie's going there. Catfish has retaken the castle, Walder Frey. So, <laughs> he confirmed it. I'll get another. That was for you, Donald. I'll get another. It was good to see Walter Frey do a recap for us. <laughs> it was like, the after the Red Wedding, you lost Catfish. I was just laughing. Oh, uh, Catfish. Blackfish. I always say Catfish. Drop your podcast. That's one. Okay. So, sorry. Heath Solo's getting excited. Sorry. <laughs> so, so, we have Jamie is going to go to River Run to help retake the castle. Uh, I guess with Walter Frey's people. And the catfish is there. Brienne's on on her way there. I know, I think I heard a podcast say this is taken from a storyline, maybe from book four, mm-hmm. Feast for Crows, Matt. Is that true? Yes, exactly. Okay. Uh, they've actually, and there's no way that it can play out exactly because of something that they did in season three with a certain singer. Tracy will know what I'm talking about. Um, but uh, this... Oh, not me. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but there is a storyline uh, within A Feast for Crows uh, where you will have the Blackfish and, and, and Jamie um, meeting up at River Run. Now, I won't go any further as to what happens from there. Um, oh. I think it's a great storyline. I can't wait to see what Dave and Dan decide to do with it. Yeah, Tracy, I am – because I – this is interesting to me because 
you know, I, I'm flip floppy on Jamie. I hated him. I loved him. I was like, oh, no, I don't like him anymore. Then I'm like, oh, I do like him again. I, I'm just so I know you're you've read the books, Tracy. Um, are, 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 are you excited as well to see this whole river run thing happen? Um, yeah, about, I guess, yeah, the episode of the door, I realized where Brienne was heading and I thought, huh, could they? And then after this episode, it seems to kind of be, you know, sort of written, you know, writing that way that they're going to end up in the same place, but on opposite sides. Mm -hmm. And, you know, that kind of makes me nervous, but the idea of that sword being used against Jamie is like making me nervous here. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I don't want to think about that at all. Um, because I feel like their relationship is something that we can root for, you know, and, and it's something that people kind of latched onto and it's one of the few complicated, but bright spots in the series. And to see that disintegrate over allegiances that they might not even truly believe in, you know, kind of like this is Brienne fighting for Sansa, not Brienne fighting for Brienne. You know what I mean? And this is Jamie kind of doing his duty as the head of the Lannister army, not something he believes in. So it kind of just makes me feel like if you guys are going to be on opposite sides, like let it be for something you truly believe. Mm. Yeah, because I'm wondering, okay, if my prediction and Axel's prediction of Cersei dying, say the uh, trial by combat happens concurrently while he's there, like with that, you know, it's like, I, I know it's a whole nother ball of wax, but say Jamie's going there to for his Lannister name. If he finds out Cersei's dead, it's like mm. changes in Jamie's head. Does he like, I, you know, so that's just a whole nother thing. Mm. I don't the show is going to do that, but. Uh, we should probably save that because <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> well, can, can we just point out uh, for Tracy and I, uh, there is a chapter in Dance with Dragons where Brienne and Jamie do meet up again. But the resolution of that is unclear and it doesn't happen at River Run. So I don't know if they're trying to advance Brienne's story. If they do happen to meet up. Uh, I don't know if they're trying to advance Brienne's storyline to where they can get to that point to give us book readers something fun to, to think about, or if they're if they're um, even going to do Brienne's little side trek. Let me just put it that way. Okay. Well, hey, okay. Solo, let me get to the email, okay? You know what, Axel? Thank you for taking charge. I was getting there. I'm just a little slow in my old age. It's all right, buddy. I think I'm older than you, though. You are by just a little <laughs> Um, so this is Brandon, uh, in Kentucky and he has an interesting theory, um, talking about Jamie and Brienne meeting up. What happens if Jamie and his Lannister army help out the Starks? Here's his reasoning. We know that Jamie and Brienne have a fondness for one another. Jamie gave Brienne a mission back in season four, find the Starks girl and get them to a safe place. Brienne pledged an oath to Jamie in that episode, named the sword Oathkeeper. Jamie could now be a roadblock on Brienne's ability to keep that oath. 
and who's threatening Sansa, the Boltons, who also chopped off Jamie's hand, which I totally forgot about. So could oh, they, could they, what's that, Solo? Sorry, I just realized it with you when Locke chopped off his hand. I, I just realized it with you. I'm sorry, I got a little excited. Shame, Solo. Shame. <laughs> <laughs> sorry, buddy. Um, that's really interesting. Um, could Jamie and the Blackfish team up to crush the phrase and then go off to help Sansa? Um, he's also saying that this may also hinge, of course, because this would be turning his back uh, somewhat on Cersei uh, if he finds out about Lancel on his way to the Riverlands or there. So this is an interesting theory. I mean, I hadn't thought too much about it. Um, I was a little annoyed at at that extra scene there and upon watching it again i felt it was a little strange where jamie and cersei and it did seem like a long goodbye though too because i keep on thinking i think cersei's gonna die i I think maybe jamie will kill her but that might be a while before it happens but that's just another crazy theory i have but um theory axel that jamie would throw cersei out the window like he did (laughs) (laughs) anyway i like this Brandon, thanks. This is interesting. Um, I don't know. Uh, what did you think about it, Solo? You think they could get? You think he would do that? Gosh, you know, I don't. <laughs> that is that email is awesome. I love it because now I'm starting to think. Oh my god, what would he do? I, I I'm confused right now, Solo, about uh, Jamie. Where I guess you know it, it, it really. To me, if they do a Cersei death, I can't see it happening. That's more of a episode eight or nine, maybe even finale. So I gotta believe this stuff's gonna play out sooner than that, because then I would change my story. Um, but that whole thing about how he said he he vowed to Brienne, he would make sure they get safe. So now with Sansa in the picture, how does that work? I, I shit, help no. me out. Matt or Tracy, I don't know where to go with this. I was going to say, Matt and Tracy may not be able to talk about this uh, so low, <laughs> being as though they're talking about events that may have happened in the book. But Tracy, can you comment on it or do you want to keep quiet on, on any yeah, speculation? It's rough to talk about. It, it's okay. kind of like a minefield. Matt, do you, do you get where where I'm coming from with that? I do, because it depends on what direction they take a couple of the stories. I think it's a lovely idea, and I think it would make a great story, but I'm scared to comment on the theory itself. Okay. All right. Well, let's move on to an email from Michael. Um, Michael basically sent – this is a long email. I can't get through the whole thing, but Michael, I do appreciate reading it, where he's basically talking about – and this is kind of like a book versus show watcher – kind of thing which is can Danny how much control over her dragons does she really have um so he kind of concludes Danny still has a lot to learn about dragons but the knowledge magic of the Val- Valerians Targaryens was not about controlling dragons but instead of communing or communicating with dragons real power co- with dragons comes from cooperating with them not trying to control them and I think this is an interesting point because it does mirror uh, Danny's journey, right? Where is 
I don't think she is trying to control them at this point. I think she is kind of like letting them go, doing the old thing. If you love someone, let them go. And if they love you, they'll come back. And the dragons are kind of coming back. And Tyrion kind of did that for her, too, though she might Mm -hmm. be pissed off when she returns, by letting them go, right? And I would think that we might, uh, you know, we might get some subplot of, you know, being close to one dragon and not others or whatever. I don't know about that, but I don't know. It's interesting. I guess um, there's, I think there was also a lot of talk about her. Is she fireproof? Is she not fireproof? And like, it was kind of like a book thing and Danny thing. When it comes to that, I kind of just stick with what the show is showing me. I don't know. What do you think about that, uh, Matt? Well, the author, uh, George, he, he is specifically stated in conventions when asked the question, uh, and this is why uh, Susan at Black Eyed Lily, who was, I think, if I saw a tweet, was on one of your podcasts earlier this season, right? Yeah. Um, he has stated that the the Drogo Pyre was pretty much a one-time event for Danny in terms of resistance to fire. There's no question of her resistance to heat. Um, however, the show, and I think that they did a beautiful job with this, and that's why I always maintain that I kind of like the show better in regards to this. Danny needs, when she has all of these flaws going on and how she, you know, conquers a place and then forgets how to run it or doesn't know how to run it, um, she needs some kind of superpower. And why not? Let that be uh, invincibility to fire. Why not that just make that there's also, you know, there's references to uh, certain saviors within the story of A Song of Ice and Fire. And I think that this aspect of Danny, this characteristic of her resistance to fire in the television show lends a lot more credence to her being one of those savior uh, possibilities. So I don't have any question with it at all as far as a television show goes. But when I'm reading the books, I do keep in mind that Danny is not resistant to fire in the same way that she is in the television show. You feel the same way, Tracy? Yep. Plus one on that. Um, Yeah, they're just one of those differences. And it's pretty easy for me to keep straight. It doesn't bother me. uh, You know, I did read that she is not fireproof in the book and it really didn't bother me. I, I mean, actually, I remember watching the scene where she walked out of that hut or whatever naked and i kind of just said okay so i guess she is fireproof here moving on doesn't bother me right cool exactly you gotta take it that way uh we have another email and we're gonna dive into heath is it okay do you want to dive into the aria string we have did we lose heath Heath, i think we lost heath Oh, no, I'm here. I'm sorry. I oh, okay. House. You all right there, Solo? Yeah, no, I thought someone was in my house. Oh, my God. Are <laughs> you serious? Yeah. My fiance is at school right now, and I'm like, okay, who would be coming into my house right now? <laughs> who who was it? Huh? Who was it? Oh, it was no one. It was a, it was a creak of a door. But no it, one? Oh, my gosh. Oh, it's Aria. <laughs> <laughs> I swear that play I did, I didn't want the lead actor to be dead. I <laughs> put my three lines. Oh my God. I'm totally keeping this in the podcast solo. <laughs> I'm not cutting this. All right, let's move on. 
Chayton says, and this is kind of an interesting point. Matt, I thought you'd enjoy this. In season six, episode six, Arya tells the actress she is supposed to assassinate that her name is Mercy. This could be a reference or shout out to the Ned Stark character in season one after Ned is locked up after being betrayed by Littlefinger and Janna Slint. He is sent to the Black Dungeons. In the dungeons, Varys visits him and brings him water to, and convince him to throw away his honor to save Sands and say Joffrey is the true heir. Varys asks Ned what madness led him to tell Cersei he learned the parentage of Joffrey and the others, and Ned replies, the madness of mercy. Varys replies later, your mercy killed the king. That's interesting. Love that parallel. Um, as someone who fishes a lot of... Uh, chapters that george releases prior to releasing books um unfortunately i have to disagree with that being the reasoning but right now i think that's as good a reasoning to place on it as uh any well i you know what Uh, from a non-book reader or wannabe book reader book listener but falling a sleeper uh, (laughs) i when because you know during the rewatch when like i i didn't realize what her name was and then i i got it this last time she says mercy and I'm thinking, does that correlate with her realizing Cersei's motivations mm. and maybe by not killing that actress, Mercy, it all ties in. And so I was just like kind of looking at it that way, like she gave Mercy by knocking the rum out of her hand. And maybe she's not going to be just a stone cold killer now. She's gonna give like because i had this video you know she says these names i want to kill the hounds cersei blah 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 now maybe she's realizing the minds who she wants to kill and their reasons and it's not just i want to go kill them because of this maybe in Arya's mind oh i'm starting to understand these people now not that she wouldn't kill cersei because i'm sure she would but maybe she's she is growing at this point um and hence why she used the name Mercy. That was just little thoughts that I came up with. Heath, Heath, I love that, man. And and I had a kind of a similar, at least, look at Arya's character and her character journey in this episode. By the way, you know, the last time I watched a Brian Kalkman episode, I quit. So um, <laughs> the Brian Kalkman, uh, that whole Arya storyline in this episode was so beautifully done to me. I mean, by... Being in Cersei's head for a moment and when she explains what she's trying to, to uh, you know, how Cersei would actually react when she's trying to tell Lady Crane how to change the writing. She realizes that that need for revenge, that anger is a part of herself. And that's the first time Arya's ever confronted her issue with all of these people that she wants revenge on. And I think that's why she decides not to to do lady crane so it is a mercy in a way in that respect i I love that thought but that for me that's what that's how aria broke free from wanting to be a faceless person is is the fact that she realized that um revenge is not a black and white thing she realized that in that very moment and i thought that cogman just made that happen by the way that she looked at ned's the uh the fake ned head you know the way that she uh you know, was moved by the way Cersei, uh, Lady Crane was portraying Cersei. Um, she realized that she, there is more gray to the world than just her need for revenge. And I love that thought that you just had about her thinking, calling herself Mercy because um, she realizes that uh, she needs to rethink herself. 
and I have a question for all three of you guys. I'm going to start with Axel, go Tracy, and then end with Matt. Okay. So now that we know, I, you know, watch this again, the waif. She's been wanting to <laughs> pretty much kill Arya the whole time, never really liked her, and is excited that she got the acknowledgement from Jack and Hagar, take her out, don't make her suffer. But my question for you guys is, what if all along, and, and, and I, I was trying to figure out Jacken's look, like he knew this would happen, but because the waif, she's supposed to be a faceless person, she's so, have this emotional attachment against Arya, could this be a whole thing where Jacken knows Arya's going to kill the waif? Because the waif is more weaker than Arya, even though, you know, because even Jacken's like, oh, I had, you know, so many plans. There were so many things Arya was going to do. But I almost feel like Jacken knows that the waif is done for and she hasn't passed the final test. What do you think, Axel? Well, I, I'm going to use some of our emailers' theories onto you. Because that's an interesting, because that does go along with what some people are saying. Jim from Canada says he believes that it's it's kind of what you said, that that Jack and this is the final test for both of them. And whoever wins is the one who's alive. And then she'll get her, her, she'll get her uh, journey. And he knew that she was going to do that, that that's the choice that she was going to make. And every killer is different, you know, and does it for a different reason. So that's one person. Our good friend Glenn Ewing writes in. He thinks that Arya defeating the waif alone is going to be enough to get her off because a life has been given. All Jack ever says is a life must be taken, right? Or a life must be given. So he thinks it's as simple as that. We love you, Glenn. All right, let's. We had one more that was talking about. Uh, oh, okay, cool. Um, he th- Michael writes in to say that the reason we see her in that room at the end is that she's going to use those skills of being able to fight in the dark against the uh, girl. Hmm. So I think that's very interesting. So now that I brought those out, I will tell you what I, what I think, Keith Solo, as you asked me. Um, I, like- I, I think I kind of like the Glenn Occam's razor. The simple answer is the simple answer. And I don't think we're ever going to quite know. And I think that she's going to kill her. And then Jockin is going to say a life has been given. And I think that he's then going to give her the choice of whether or not she wants to be a faceless person or not. And if she doesn't want to be, I think she's going to be allowed to leave. But I've also always thought that they knew more than they were letting on about her and maybe a greater role she'll play in the upcoming like war of the five kingdoms <laughs> or whatever. Um so that's what I think. What do you think, Tracy? Well, I never really felt like the House of Black and White was ever really explained well. 
um, in the show or really in the book. I mean, on one hand, it seems like a place that's more spiritual than anything and a, a very religious place where um, life is precious. And if it's one supposed to go, then it should. And kind of all about balance, you know, sort of like a yin and yang sort of deal. And then on the other hand, it's like, well, somebody paid the price, so you got to go kill him, and it doesn't even matter. And once you pay a price, well, then that creates sort of like this negative, and then you have to go kill them, and it, but that's what balances it out. So I never really felt like, you know, the true purpose was clear. Um, but with that, I kind of feel like, you know, Jackin knows that Arya has these great skills. And if you remember in the training, you know, I totally agree with that last email. You know, when Arya was blind, she was picking up skills. But when she could see, the waif didn't even need the weapon and she can kick Arya's butt. So it was almost like Arya knew her strength was in the dark. And she's basically inviting the waif to kind of like, you know, see me on my turf, which is the darkness. Uh, she's like um, Bane, you know, <laughs> I was born in it. Yeah. And, you know, so like fight her there and, and, and win. So and Jackin knows it. Like I have no doubt in my mind that the outcome is is already known. Wow. Uh, yeah. OK, Matt. That is a great point, Tracy. Why would you kill a waif before throwing it out of a plane? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, here, here's my thought on it. First of all, I think I think Glenn has the exact right idea. Um, I, I feel like I, I don't know how much Jockin knows or whether he's planning about Arya still being a faceless person after this is over uh, or not. But I do think that what Jockin said uh, when I think when she came back uh, with her plan to kill Lady Crane, did he not say something to the effect of, um, either way, a face will, a face will come to this wall or something mm -hmm. like that. Yeah, that's what he was yeah. saying. Yeah. So, uh, you know, I really don't think that Jock and, and and here's here's where I agree with Tracy completely. The House of Black and White in the television shows seems much more sinister than in the books to me. I don't get me wrong. The House of Black and White in the books is very creepy but not doesn't seem quite as sinister to me as it does in a television show. Um, so with that, I'm going to go on to Jockin's uh, thing here, and I'm going to say he's like, uh, I've made a pledge that a face will be on this wall, and it doesn't matter whether it's the waifs or whether it's little no ones. It's There's going to be a face, and with that, it will be done. I don't think that necessarily it would mean that Arya would be allowed with the faceless men. But I also don't think that once that life is paid for, um, that she will have to worry about the rest of her life looking over her shoulder for another faceless man to come after her. Yeah, that, that would be annoying, wouldn't it? That, that, well, it would be impossible. She can't outthink every single assassin because there's evidently a lot of them out there, <laughs> um, especially in this world. Yes. Um, so, yeah, I, I think I think that what it will do is uh, whether and I don't know that a choice will necessarily be put to her, but I think a, a whatever her choices will be accepted by Jock. Mm, cool. Yeah, I agree. Um, you know, what, guys, I wanted to go back to the play really quickly. 
one thing I did notice about um, Arya's kind of sensitivity towards Lady Crane was like this idea that, I mean, has she had a bond with an adult woman other than her mother since this whole thing kind of went terribly? I feel like all of her relationships have been with, you know, boys her age or older men who kind of have helped her and guided her. And when she takes off that blonde wig, you know, she has this deep brown hair that, I mean, probably in certain light can kind of look like Catelyn, sort of like dark red hair. And I'm wondering if she kind of had this sort of like motherly feel towards her, something that, you know, she might not even have realized she was missing. Love that. Very good. I think that's a very good catch because, yeah, she's been around male figures pretty much even down to her dad going to King's Landing and then um, Cyril Pharrell. And, (laughs) you know, you know, you know, that's that's a great point. And also thinking of that, I'm thinking, oh, man, when she comes back to Westeros, you know, she's going to go eat at Hot Pie's restaurant. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh, you know, I had often, uh, as far as my book theorizing had gone for Arya in terms of whether she would turn away from the faceless people or not. And this is fun because this is something that us as book readers just don't know what's going to happen next for Arya. But I had always theorized that she would have to go to Westeros and, ha- and be assigned to kill somebody that she knows mm. in order for her to be able to turn away from that. And I love what the show did in the, ref- the way that they just brought basically Westeros to her and presented her with a, a, a person who's even on her list or a character that's even on her list from, from the play and the actor portraying that. Um, it almost did the same thing, but it did it in a much more economical way than I think George will do. And yeah. <laughs> it did it, it did it in a, a way that, uh, you know, really totally defines Aria in a way that us as book readers haven't seen yet, which I loved. Awesome. Awesome. Well, that, uh, that's pretty much, I think that's pretty much all the emails we had. I did want to add one thing is that a bunch of people, on Twitter, and we got a couple emails about this. Um, the Blackfish is Caitlin and Edmure's uncle. Kate and yes. Edmure are siblings. Yes, they're brother and sister. And the Tarleys were the ones that sieged Stannis when he held out on Dragonstone during Robert's Rebellion. Then Davos came in with his onions and bought Stannis some time until Ned came and broke the siege. Randall Tarley is one of the greatest generals in the book's and one of the biggest assholes. <laughs> uh, yeah, he fought, he fought for the Targs in, in Robert's Rebellion. I okay. Think, right, Chrissy? That yeah. actually a question I had, because, of course, we see Gilly looking out a window again. <laughs> which, <laughs> But the Tarleys, where do they, because they look like they have tons of money. Some night, I mean, I don't know how big their army is, but we're, we're at this point in time in the show, who are the Tarleys backing? Do anyone know? So they live in uh, their their castle is called their or their estate, I guess, is called Horn Hill. And I thought that the air, like the land and the castle they gave them was way too big. Yeah. I mean, they are not a great house. They are a respected house. I mean, they certainly earn money, um, but they are vassals to the Tyrell family. They're in the reach. 
So, I mean, if we ever go to High Garden, they've got to do High Garden. I mean, way bigger than what we just saw at, at Horn Hill. Yeah, I can. I would love to see High Garden now, just yeah. based on a- what absolutely. They did there. Well, absolutely. You know, I think I read like an EW magazine or something that they took the budget for the wide shot at Dorn and gave it to this <laughs> shot. <laughs> we never got. Yeah, I mean, come on, please. Can we just get like one wide like landscape of Dorn? I don't know, whatever. Um. But, uh, yeah, I do want to thank Jim from Canada. There were a bunch of people who corrected on, us on that, um, but he succinctly kind of wrote that in. But, yeah, that castle was huge. Oh, my – I saw that and I was like, wait, is that supposed to be a whole town? <laughs> yeah, it looked like the Pantheon, man. Yeah, I was like, I just didn't get it. You know what I mean? I know the castles are big and everything, but, like, Winterfell is, like – Kind of like even when we first got there, it was a little run down. But I guess things like Sam was saying, when you get farther down and it's kind of funny, too, because their poshness, like at the table, when when uh, Gilly says that Sam killed a white walker and she and the brother Dickon, <laughs> by the way, <laughs> yeah, um, kind of laughs, you know, like a little giggle, like I think he Snowlow just did. Turn out for <laughs> yeah and um it was like there's no white walkers they don't exist i thought that was awesome it just kind of shows i like whenever we see those touches and that's why i like the play too because i love to see they talk so much about the people but like i've said it before like this this show is in no way shape or form like a downton abbey like we never get to see what the regular people think even the high sparrow we see the high sparrow you know, so it's, it's that's always kind of interested to me that they didn't have a character who was very lowborn that we're following. You know what I'm saying? They've never really had that. Um, Still, um, I, I totally wanted Sam to take like three pieces of bread and say, screw you, dad. <laughs> <laughs> Come on, Sam, just do it and just start chowing down. Yeah. Um, I, I have a question for you guys by Sam taking heart's pain. Is that is that like the end all be all f you to his dad? Are they going to come after him? What what do you guys think of that? Well, I mean, that can't. I feel like that kind of makes it official that that is just the beginning of Randall Tarley, and you know whether we get him for two more episodes or ten more episodes or what you know who knows, but. I kind of feel like it can't end there. There's no way you take the family's ancestral sword. And I mean, he knows where you're going. So, <laughs> I mean, this isn't, you know, you're either going to Old Town or the Wall. So, uh, you know, I think we could have something interesting brewing there. But I'm so happy he took it because he knows the importance of Valyrian steel. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Totally agree. Yeah. that This is... Uh... You know, and I got this trying to starting to do math. It's like, okay, so Sam's going to take this sword because he knows that Valyrian steel can kill the White Walkers since him and John talked about it. We've seen ice broken down into Oathbreaker and into Joffrey's sword. Was Joffrey's sword buried with him? Is that what happened to his sword? I have no idea. Hmm. I can't remember. See if I can dig that up. 
but but show canon, right? Yeah, show <laughs> canon, not book show canon. canon. Uh, but at, at any rate, uh, it's like, okay, so what are you going to do with this sword, Sam? Are you going to make, what, six Valerian steel daggers and hope that a guy can get close enough to a White Walker to kill him with? I mean, I love the idea of this ancestral sword, but I just wonder what Sam's plan with it is. Other than, I mean, because one additional Valerian steel sword I don't think is going to do much against, I mean, look at all the, the freaking zombies that we saw right in the tree. God, that was like the best. How to make a zombie movie 2.0 right there, right after Hard Home. That was fantastic in the door. Yeah. That was, yeah. It, I mean, I think it was just a big F you, you know, and he knows he might need it or whatever. But I, I you know, I think that I don't know if this is like Chekhov sword that now he has to, you know, he's going to get in con. He's going to find a white walker or something coming down from Canada. No, no, uh, not right now. <laughs> yeah, just you thinking know? That he's. He, I think I give credit Sam credit for thinking long term, and, and yeah, yeah. Uh, and and he he has come south uh, with that conversation from John. As far as we know, he doesn't even know John has died and come back yet. But he does know that they need as much Valerian steel as possible. So not only can he do an F you to his dad, but he can also help his own cause. Yeah, cool man, cool. Um. Heath Snolo, that's the end of our emails. Is there? Did you have any other points that you wanted to bring up? I had one thing I wanted to talk about. Okay, yeah, I have like maybe one, two quick one-off questions, and then I'm good. So why don't you go ahead, buddy? All right, cool. I just wanted to bring up to all three of you. Uh, we actually did a little uh, uh, Twitter poll, which was fun last week. Uh, just kind of after this whole brand thing with Hodor was introduced and I'm interested in hearing how you know I've heard conflicting things now when it first happened it seemed like and our poll said most people were like nervous about the introduction of this kind of causal loop and time travel elements into the show and particularly uh, from a book reader perspective this could be shattering you know, I mean, it. I, I just wonder, and I am in general nervous about, though I trust these guys, and Matt, I agree that I really think this season has been spectacular, and all of the kind of decisions, at least the ones I know about, that are divergent or convergences from the book, have seemed to be the totally right choice, Um. But I'm, I am nervous about like just theories floating around that people have any, uh, you know, I've said, I think Donald thought I liked this theory and I said I didn't, you know, that like Bran is Bran the Builder or Bran went back in time and made the Mad King go crazy or, um, you know, that all this, all these things that we've seen or I, you know, people were saying Bran or that the Night King did it, that he's a green seer. And he has been manipulating people um, in the background. Like, uh, you know, Tracy, how does that make you? How long do you go back with the books, Tracy? Um, when did I start reading yeah. them? Or um, I, I finished book one. Well, I started book one after episode two, season one. And I had okay. it finished before the finale. And okay. I just went nuts after that. All so right. I was not before the show. Well, then, uh, yeah, and I'm, well, I'm interested. How does that make you feel, that kind of stuff? Because if that's introduced in the book 
And I think you guys know, I mean, as fans of fantasy and sci-fi, we've seen this can go really, it can really take a lot of agency and a lot of importance away from the actions of other characters and other storylines. And honestly, it does make me a little bit nervous. And But at the same time, I kind of want stuff like that because I like it. And I think time travel is awesome. But well, I don't, what do you think, Tracy? You know, I think less is more. Um, I like the idea of it. I love the way that it was introduced because I felt like it really packed an emotional punch. But if it begins to feel like this is just sort of like Bran at like some chessboard in the sky, moving pieces and redoing things over and over, you know, it's hard for me to get invested in a story like that. You know, I think you're right about agency being taken away from characters. I want things to matter to the story. I want the the narrative that's kind of been happening to have meaning. Um, I feel like a lot of ground has been laid for a lot of these characters and their personalities and their motivations. And I would hate to think that, you know, we might be reading chapter after chapter of brand kind of like resetting something. I, I don't know that that would disappoint me. Okay. What do you think, Matt? Well, uh, like Tracy, I mean, I, I would be disappointed if this is a way to shape the story. I feel like that both in the books and in the television show that brand is being used as a device to give answers to mysteries that book readers and television show people alike um, have wanted, you know, they've, they've been asking these questions for years and this is a way for, for us to get the answers that we want is, is via brand. I look at him as much more as, like, uh, I said before, as a, a trustworthy narrator who's going to tell us what's happened rather than just affecting it. Because even back in the Feast Dance tandem read, um, you know, Bubba and I semi joked that, you know, brand, uh, will eventually just go back and rewrite everything. Uh, and how disappointed we would be if that was the case. And I've been saying since we did that read, you know, every time you read in the books that the leaves of a werewood tree rustle or any tree rustles or whatever, <laughs> it's brand. It's brand, brand everywhere. I've been saying brand, brand everywhere for years. Uh, well, almost two years now. But the, uh, but I would be extremely disappointed if brand is anything more than an observer. That if he does have direct influence as a fixer or a solver um then that will destroy uh the story to me i it, it, now if his involvement affects it that it all leads right back to where it is maybe i don't have quite as much of a problem with it um because it's still characters making decisions in the moment regardless of what he's done and i'm perfectly okay with that but if you take a, if you if you make him go back and and, and fix things, um, then I'm not okay with that. How about you, Snolo? Well, I agree with Tracy and Matthew. Uh, I just hope that Brand's not creating a place where Rob Stark and Walter Frey can hug and be happy. Yeah. Uh, hope that's not what happens. I I. You know, because one thing that it, it clicks in my mind as we talk about, you know, the possible time travel, whatever, I just kind of justified it as even though it was happening in our present, it always happened. And then I realized Mira is the one who said, hold the door and not brand. So I was like, wait a minute, what does that mean? Um, 
I really do think if it goes that route, I'd be kind of upset too because I just don't feel this is the story for it. But if brand brand's abilities are a conduit to help defeat the White Walkers in some way in present time, that's what I'm hoping for. I'm hoping it's not he's going to change the past and next thing you know, Ned Stark will be like, so what are we having for dinner, Catelyn? You know, I, I don't want anything like that. Um, but if there is some stuff that happens, I hope, I hope, hopefully it's done where it just doesn't, it just doesn't seem like it would fit time travel and stuff just doesn't seem like it depends how far they go. And I hope to explain some stuff, it's fine. I just hope they don't go that full route and really like in the last three or four episodes of the series, it just changes everything. It just, it, it. It doesn't feel like the show for that. In yeah. My yeah, I hope so, too. And I don't like the loop shit either. Like Bran is the three eyed raven and he's tried many times to affect this before and it hasn't worked. And we're getting to like the, the I mean, it's just a matrix, but I it's you can refer to the matrix, though. It was a, a long uh, has a long history as kind of a sci fi trope where this person is trying again and again and again to do something and then finally breaks the loop somehow. Mm -hmm. um, if what we're seeing is the loop finally being broken and that's explained to us and it began at some certain point, then it may be kind of interesting some of that. But if, if, if that, if like uh, Tracy said that like he's floating in the sky with a map, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? And going back or like, or like, you know, it's just like John and Sans and everyone else waiting in a room and they're like, hey, what's going on? Oh, Bran is just going to try to make sure that the White Walkers aren't created. He'll wake <laughs> up in about four minutes. <laughs> and then we like cut to the next scene and Sans is making another coat or like John is like uh, listening in the corner to, uh, I don't know, some kind of emo band or something. You know, like, <laughs> they're like what's Bran doing now? Uh bronze duet yeah you know that would be silly so okay cool i just want to talk about that what was you uh what did you have next solo uh i just uh i just wanted to comment uh one comment one question i really love mira's devotion to bran uh i think the actress in the last couple of episodes has done such a great job at reacting and just her you really feel how she lost her brother she at the beginning of the season's like, what the hell? We're gonna fight a war from a cave. But when she's getting Bran away and telling Hodor to hold the door, she and then when she feel she feels defeated, like she can't protect Bran anymore, and they're about to get killed. I I really felt it from her, and I thought the actress has done a fantastic job. And I, I'm really excited about the Mira character. Um yeah, I really, you know, it really hit me each watch. I'm like, man, she's kicking ass and I love it. So I just, I just hope, uh, I hope she doesn't die. I hope she goes to the end. Um, as far as a question for you guys, um, I just realized that I don't have any more. <laughs> so yeah. Oh, um, no. Oh, oh, I do have a question. Here it is. Does. If Walder Frey, if he hasn't found out already that Ramsey has killed one of his daughters, would that affect his allegiance at all? 
would that play a part or is he just like i'll get another he doesn't care i just don't know if that is do you think that's a big part of walder frey's mindset um or not or maybe he does he won't know that she's dead uh my prediction is that walder frey won't live long enough to uh find out that's a good one yeah Mm. Do you do you have an idea about how he'll go? Uh well, I I mean I I I just feel like that uh you know, once this whole Riverlands thing plays out that he's next in line and I I don't know that word about believe me, Ramsey's not going to be like sending out ravens saying other than saying that he's the the lord of 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 uh winterfell he's not going to be sending out any raven saying because walda is dead um there could be a raven sent maybe your wife died during childbirth mm-hmm. right. you know i i don't think that walder will necessarily ever learn the truth if he does he will be mad uh of course but uh then again he's got so many children uh <laughs> he may have a point i'll send another you know yeah. <laughs> Um, so, I mean, I, I, but I just, I have a feeling that after this Riverlands thing happens that Walder Frey is next on the list. I don't think you bring a character back after this long of a time, uh, uh, especially a hated character like this to have him even make it through the season. Hey, Axel, uh, I got a question for you along the Walder Frey as a, as a TV watcher after the red wedding, I wanted Walder Frey dead. I wanted him mutilated. And now it's been so long. Do you still feel the hatred for Walder Frey? Or is it just like, oh, he's been on the strain. It's all good. Uh, no, I mean, I just love the character, though. It's kind of hard mm-hmm. with the character like him because he's hilarious. And just his, the way he's just like indiscriminately like he just slaps that little girl in the ass or he just slaps his leg or he slaps the table. He's just like he, and the, he's just weird, man, you know? And a total creeper, uh, yeah. the char- but he's just so funny. Um, so even when the Red Wedding happened, I, was, I, I mean, I thought he would have been dispensed with by some way a long time ago, just based on, you know, you live by the sword, you die by the sword, you know? Um, but I thought initially going on what Matt's saying, who I agree with here, as soon as he was introduced... Uh, I said this on the last podcast. I thought somebody was going to come through and kill him. I was just waiting for someone to kill him. So I think that he's never going to find out. Okay. So uh, should we uh, this thing up, Mr. Folo? Yeah, man. I mean, it's a great, we've had a great show. It's fantastic having Matt, having Tracy. I mean, you, you're, both of you, of course, are definitely welcome back. Uh, Matt, do you have anything you want to go out on? you have anything you want to say? Uh, well, uh, first of all, listeners, uh, thank you for allowing me to grovel at your feet for a little while and say I'm sorry for missing the show. I obviously uh, did not give the story, the overall story, enough credit uh, that it deserved uh, because of a scene that I really disagreed with and the way that scene was treated uh, during the week afterwards. Um, other than that, um, thank you for listening to these guys. I don't have time to do uh, a weekly, to produce a weekly Winterfell uh, cast every week. So these guys are among the best to listen to and continue to listen to them. 
and I will be back. Yeah, I've got three pre-recorded theory casts uh, in uh, coming out in July, and then I will make a plan for there on. My touring schedule is just so crazy right now. But thanks again, uh, Heath and Axel, and of course, a uh, big shout out to Donald and Mike and and DJ DJ Timmy Hines. Um, thanks for great allowing me to uh, graciously allowing me to come back to the podcast and talk about this show that I never should have stopped talking about. It's all right, brother. You have a lot of street cred with us through the years. You don't have to apologize. <laughs> with, uh, thanks, man. Yeah, that's awesome, dude. Of course, man, you're always welcome back. And hey, we're just happy that you're back, dude, because we love your knowledge and we love hearing you uh, hearing you talk about everything. I told you I would listen to some of those book podcasts and then I would be like, why am I? I don't want to listen to this. I don't want to be spoiled, but I just want to hear Matt and I want to hear the show, you know, so uh, we're glad to have you back. Uh, Tracy, it's been great having you on. Thank you for uh, coming on with us this evening. And uh, is there anything you want to go out on? Uh, just thanks so much. I had a blast. There's no one in my real life, you know, here in New Jersey that I can have these conversations with because either they're book only or they're show only and I can never kind of have the conversations that I want to have. So this is like a really great outlet for me. And thanks for not forgetting about me. Right. Thanks for letting me come back in. And uh, hopefully, you know, we can talk again sometime, whether it be this season or off season or whatever you guys need. Yeah, most definitely. Most definitely. And we want to also thank everyone for uh, sending in the emails. We definitely appreciate it. Smallcouncilpod at gmail.com. You can also hit us on Twitter at smallcouncilpod. Solo, take us out, baby. All right, baby. I want to say a shout out to Gary Echo Bravo Tangle Af Alpha. Remember Gary from the call-in show? Just had to throw that out there. But no, honestly, love Gary. Yeah, it was great to have Tracy and Matt on. It just, I was always like, when we were getting special guests, I'm like, we got to get Tracy. I remember, I even, I think I tweeted her like, we got to get you on an off-season pod. It never happened. But I'm glad we got you on, and you're always welcome. And we'll get you on before the off season. Cause I'm sure after the finale and stuff, we're going to want to do some pods. Who knows? So it, this was really fun tonight. Thank you guys for bringing your a game. Uh, very excited. Four episodes left. So, uh, stretch. So, well, everyone, thank you. And to all our Dara Gailey's Bahala, Juliana Margulies, baby. You're listening to The Small Council, a Game of Thrones podcast. Find us on Twitter at Small Council Pod. Email us at smallcouncilpod at gmail.com. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.